Hello, 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 and welcome back to Octavia's Parables, our podcast where we are reading Octavia E. Butler's classical texts one chapter at a time and learning everything we can. I am your co-host, Adrienne Brown, and I'm here with the delicious and delightful... <laughs> Toshi Regan, yum. <laughs> yum. <laughs> and Toshi, do you have any announcements for us today? Yeah, I'm really happy to be here with you. That is like number one on my list of mm. announcements. I'm happy and, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Surprise everyone, we're happy. Yes. And I got some gigs coming up that are going to be kind of cool. I canceled my Word Rock Sword concert Pain, for the third sadness. year in a row because we got covid we yeah. got yeah monkeypox we got things yeah so i want to give a shout out to the venue la poison rouge who has just been really supportive as i've booked the gig and canceled it and booked the gig and canceled it and a shout out to all of the venues that are still struggling and yeah. still um supporting you know the artists voices in their communities so yeah there's that love I want to send out. And I'll be doing a residency at Symphony Space in November. Beautiful. In New York. I'll be presenting a, a B. Steadwell concert on November 5th. Yay. I'll be doing a work in progress performance of You're Having Too Much Fun, So We Have to Kill You on Ooh. November 10th. And on November 19th, I will be doing Sacred Revolution, which will be a circle of multiple artists, community practitioners, um, looking at the sacred information that is intentionally for uplifting and revolutioning um, mm. us. So that's going to be real fun. And then if you're in Middletown, Connecticut, mm. I will be at Wesleyan doing uh, October 7th, a work in progress of you're having too much fun, so we have to kill you, Ooh. which is AKA the Disco Project. The so. Disco Project. That's so good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be around doing a bunch of little things here and there. I am into it, Toshi. Um, I'm like looking at my calendar like, how do I get to the disco thing? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, your, as your number one groupie, I have to figure <laughs> out how I get to the places. I am, let's see what I want to share with people. Sonia Renee Taylor and I put out a journal for radical permission that is now available widely. Like wherever you buy books, you can get a copy of it. And it's part of this course we're offering, the Institute for Radical Permission, which is running now with a thousand students, um, which is amazing and amazing, like on a very many levels, like a lot of transformation is happening. And then we'll be offering that course, like an evergreen version of the course after that. So if you miss the initial signup, but you still want this magic in your life, you'll be mm -hmm. able to get it. And then the musical ritual project I'm doing is going to be in residency at the shed this fall, and there will be a presentation of the music. It's called To Feel a Thing, and I'll be sharing with you all the date. I believe it's in December um, when there'll be some presentation of the work um, if people want to come through. And then um, it's a book It's a book season too. So uh, Fables and Spells, my next collection is coming out. It's fiction, it's spells, it's poetry. It's very witchy. It's my witchiest work yet. And that's going to come out on November 8th in all the different formats. And I'm making an album to come out with it. So I'm very excited. It's going to be songs, fables, and spells in song form to go along with what's happening in the book. So. Those are things to keep an eye out for from me. And 
We're having a very prolific time, Toshi. We're getting so much creativity flowing out into the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm here for it. And um, like you, I'm looking for, you know, where are you going to be so I can go and witness? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm like, I'm like, my team knows. I'm like, send Toshi the dates. Yes, please. So speaking of prolific creations, <laughs> Mary is out here building this community. And we are in part three now chapter 10 and we start with mary doing some reflecting so take us there toshi yes yes mary is reflecting on all of the things that you know we actually talked about in this chapter nine and she's looking back mm. so she's reflecting on this uh first year and the original group of actives they broke up everybody was like i'm gotta be here so rachel and jesse moved out first and they moved down to the street into a giant house. Then Jan moved out alone. Uh, Mary said she had to talk to her about using her uh, psychometry. How do you say that? Is it psychometry? psychometry. Yeah. I mean, Psycho- yeah. that's what it sounds yeah. like to me. <laughs> All right. I, I was like geometry and psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I looked at it. <laughs> so, oh, no. Okay. Psychometry is a kind of educational tool or even as art. And at the same time, I told her to keep her hands off my man. So, (laughs) (laughs) y'all, she was Mm. like, not you. You can't have him. Mm. And the new pattern is that they had been gathering. They were also leaving. People were um, finding their own houses. And Jesse was preparing the way for them with the mutes who already lived there. And just in case you just decided to pop in on this chapter and not listen to all the others, the mutes are the people who uh, have no telepathic talents whatsoever like us so like most, us. most of us probably yes and it's it's not very kind um than the call us mutes but that's no, the way they me. think of us yeah. we are there to serve so seth and ada also moved around the corner and across the street and then suddenly carl and mary were the only patternist at the larkin house um doro who had finally um, left and they had a pair of latents with them Everybody except Jan and Rachel were um, seconding somebody else. Yeah, they basically had to like deal with each other because even Vivian didn't matter anymore. She should have left Carl when she had a chance and she didn't. And so now she is just really enslaved, Yeah, mentally enslaved. She has not her own thoughts. She's just walking around um, being whatever Carl wants her to be. Um, so yeah, it's terrible. And Mary's not too impressed with um, what Carl is doing. And she says, uh, that she's a predator and frankly, not a very good one, but that was all right because Carl wasn't as sure as he had once been that he minded being the prey. He was a little wary, a little amused. He had never really hated me though. Hell, he and I would have gotten along fine together from back when he first climbed into my bed if it hadn't been for the pattern and what the pattern represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this issue of power that's always a, a giant dynamic in their relationship. And the pattern was growing because she searched latents. This is just leading us into this this journey of growing this pattern, this community into a gigantic web of family. And in the previous chapter, it talks a lot about what that web is. 
So um, if you feel a little bit lost, just go and listen to it a little bit. And you'll get all of these amazing details yeah. of what Mary has been doing. So what are Carl and Mary? They just trying to be a couple up in here. And it's just like not really working. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, let's watch TV. Let's be, you know, mm-hmm. let's just do some things. And it's. Um, it must be weird, but, you know, Mary is looking for a relationship and hmm. she wants Carl to like, you know, kind of get, you know, open up to her in a, a kind of traditional way of a relationship, Yep. you know, and he's still very threatened by her power. And she, he's like, you can just read me. She don't want to read him. She's like, I want you to talk to me. And, you know, that it was so offensive to him. And he basically get into a fight, you know, about are really just trying to have some intimacy with him and try to be a couple. And so he's like, I'll just begin to bore you very quickly. And so <laughs> she's like, is that what it is? Like, yeah, they're just arguing. He's resistant. You know, she's like, I, you should just trust me. By now you ought to trust me. And then it's like, I'm not sure that trust is the issue. And then you know, she just basically is working very hard to connect with this man. And so she touches his face and she tries to put her arms around him. And she's like, humor me. Like, what is it going to cost you? And she even says plenty is going to cost him plenty to be with her. So they hmm. have this. Yeah. And this happens a lot with Mary. Mary you know, I don't know. You notice like she knows what she thinks. She knows what she wants and she knows her effect on other people Yes, simultaneously. Yes. So she still tries to figure out, you know, how it can happen. So they lay down together and they are holding each other and they're touching and he asked her to unshield and she was surprised, but she didn't mind. He lowered his shield so that there was no mental barriers between them. And they seemed to flow together and it was scary for them at first, but she felt like she was losing control, but she really wants this to work out. And so she takes the chance and reminds me of Anyamu and Doro, Exactly. you know, where Anyamu decides to go on this journey and trust Doro, but she could see he wasn't afraid and that he wanted me to stay as I was and that nothing irreversible was happening. Mm. So they're inside of the swoon of this, you know, we're both going to try to be shieldless. And it's, she calls it a blending and says that like he tried it with other women, but Jan hadn't liked it. And so this is like him meeting a match and hopefully bringing some unity to this situation. Mm. However, they lost control and the spiral of their own emotions got out of hand. And I'm reading this. We hurt each other a little. I wound up with bruises and he had nail marks and bites. Later, I took one look at what was left of the dress I had been wearing and threw it away. <laughs> so, wow. um, I don't know how mad they are about that losing control part, but that's what happened. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. laughed it off and said they need to be very careful. Yeah. So here we go. End of year one. At the end of the pattern is first year of existence. We all knew we had something that was working and something new. And we learned we were learning to do everything as we went along. One is that they found um, latents and with latent children. Two, they discovered they were allergic to children of their own kind. Three, they were we were more dangerous to them than their latent parents. And four, 
Ada discovered her specialty. She was the only one um, who could tolerate children. And she began to use uh, mutes as foster parents. And as you know, from the previous chapter, she starts a whole school. Yes. Um, and she slowly moves out the mute children. <laughs> and there's only their children. And, and they just start to take, they take over everything. They start to take over the whole community. But eventually, people started to come back. Rachel and Jesse came back after a few days. And then Seth and Ada came. And then Jan just reappeared. She had been lonely as hell in the house that she had chosen. She didn't say anything. She was just like, everybody was back. So <laughs> She's like, come on now, yeah. Yeah. They like to be close to each other. Yes. The seven of them became the first family. It was a joke at first, but now that's what they are. So the pattern was just over a year old. And Carl wants to have a baby. And so Mary is like, mm, really? And he's like, yes. And, you know, the question of why they would have a child, because they're basically not going to raise this baby because yeah. the baby will will really, 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 really bother them. So they're going to have a baby. And then Carl would like a boy. And so Mary arranges yes. for their baby to be a boy. Um, she can choose the sex of her child. I, I don't even understand that. I, 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 it sounds like the same thing Anyanwu was able to, she's like, I can just, you know, right. feel my yeah, way I, inside. But I'm like, that's deep, deep feeling. It's very deep. <laughs> you want a boy? Okay, here we go. Okay. So she was being pregnant, and it, but she says it was no excuse to slow down the expansion. So she's pulling um, Leighton's in from all over the country, and she could pick them out out of the surrounding mute population is we just mutes y'all. Mm -hmm. We just mutes at this point. So when you hear that, that's just pretty much everybody yeah. who's not, even if you have special gifts, you're still a mute. So yeah. as you, until you are fully awakened, brought from the latent, you know, you're either mute or you're latent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rough. They got really used to all of that very quickly. Mm -hmm. So on the pattern grew, they had a son. His name is Carl August Larkin, the name of the man whose body Doro had used to father uh, her, Gerald August. So she just made a gesture to the memory. Doro isn't around to watch them grow. He checked on them every few months to remind her that she needed to obey him. He came and he looked at her flat stomach and said, boy or girl, <laughs> when wow. she was just pregnant. And he says, okay, well, let's go see the baby. So Doro goes, looks at the, the baby and like walks right out. And <laughs> she wished that um, Ada was around to take Doro in to see when August wasn't in um, school itself. But so they start to go on a journey um, with Doro and it's time for them to have like, you know, a talk. They have to drive away from the school because the school is uncomfortable. Mm. So Basically, they're just like the baby is healthy. They're talking about the, the baby, the baby, the baby. There's just a surprise around them having a baby. And, you know, most actives have to be bulldozed and having children. So Doro's just just very surprised at um, her and Carl. Doro is very aware about the pattern growing. And what he would prefer is for the pattern to grow through childbirth. Uh -huh. So this them having a kid is actually great for Doro because he's like, now that's how it should be done. Yes. And he brings up that there should be no more recruits. And so Mary is like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I just want to slow you down a little bit. I'm being cautious. And then, you know, she doesn't understand that. 
why you need to be cautious about our growth is really all Mary has to say. So I wrote a note to myself. I need to read this part. Mary, 1,500 adults and 500 children in only two years. It's time you stop devoting all your energy to growth and start figuring out just what it is you're growing. You're one woman holding everything together. Your only possible successor at this point is about two months old. There'd be a bloodbath if anything happened to you. If you were hit by a car tomorrow, your people would disintegrate all over each other. And she's like, no, no, no. If I, <laughs> if I got hit by a car, I'd just heal myself. She's like, I'm unstoppable. She's, she really is. And this is the beginning of, I want to say the end, but it's the beginning uh. of Doro's like really trying to, I think he's testing the weight of his control at this totally. point. He's like, yeah, am I still in charge here? Am I still in charge? It's a question. Mm. So he's like, wait 20 more years before you can like do anything else. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, Mary doesn't want to wait 20 minutes. She's like, like she's not, a, no, he doesn't, he doesn't understand who she is. Yeah. And what she cares about. Cause he, he, yeah. he's like, he can watch these people suffer. She's like, they're out there suffering. Yeah. I'm going to go get them. Yeah. She's like, this is ridiculous. There's no reason for these people to suffer their entire lives when I can save them. Honestly, she is like, what kind of, and then we all know what kind of monster. Yeah. Yes. So she is like, uh-uh, that 20 goddamn years. No, 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 no. And, you know, he's like, you will have something firm and established. And he's speaking like somebody that's like 4,560 years old. <laughs> so he's, yes. There go they go back and forth, you know, and Mary is like really trying to make make a case. She is like, Doro, do you know what kind of work I've had Rachel doing for most of the past two years? And he's like, I know. And she's like, You you know, have you seen the people she brings in? I mean, they're like walking corpses and she compares them to like people from a concentration camp. Mm. And she's like, We're doing good things, you know. The people in the worst shape turn out to be her best telepaths, you know, the most powerful. So imagine like, you know, how many people would die. And just remember that Doro just killed everybody that he couldn't find use for, or he just let them be miserable. So this is really such a deep conversation. And so she brings this up, what I just said, you've been watching people die for thousands of years and you just have learned not to care. So they go at it, they go at it, they go at it, they go at it, they go at it. While they're going back and forth, she looks down at his hand. It's callous with fingers that were too long. It hit me how much they were like my own. Big, ugly hands. And I look. I took another look at the body he was wearing. It's green-eyed and black-haired. And she said, who is this you're wearing? And he said, a relative of your father. You probably already guessed. And she's like, who is it? And he says, it's your half-brother. So... Doro's just messed up. Like he's such just, a fucking asshole. He, he, he's <laughs> such an asshole. Just the kind of person I was looking for—a close relative, a potentially good patternist, and likely victim to ease your hunger. You know damn well we're competitors, Doro. So, yeah, Doro intentionally gets somebody that she would probably want because he's an asshole. Yeah. So, I I just shake my head at Doro. Basically, Mary has to get out of the car and walk away because she is so angry at him 
you know, not so much about him wearing the body of her brother, but for the whole thing. Exactly. For for him trying to close the door, for him telling her what to do, for him saying that she needs to wait 20 more years, for him letting 20 years of Leighton's die, Yes. for him and his insecurity and his non-trust and ass. So this yeah. is what the problem is. This is chapter 10, but at the end of chapter 10, I wrote, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> things are different, Doro. So <laughs> yes, things are different. he can ask as much as he wants, but. appreciate this chapter. I appreciate the pivot that's starting to unfold, right? This is really part of the reason this book I think is so important for organizers is because it takes us inside of the kind of power dynamic pivots that play out in our organizations, in our families, in our communities, in our governments, like this kind of dynamic where there's like, there's an old guard, there's a certain way that power is held and then there's something new and possible and chaotic and unformed and something that sees itself as justice in the face of injustice, that sees itself as collective in the face of hierarchical and top-down, you know, that sees itself as changing. So we're getting to really watch this process. So let's start back at the beginning of this chapter, right, where Mary's taking us sort of in a time travel thing, which I love when Octavia does this. It's like, this happened, but let's go back and and, you know, explain a little, little bit about what happened, because you know, you know where some of this is going to land, but I'm sure you're curious about the story. And I'm always, I always am. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I did want to know. <laughs> so, you know, if you're reading, you're analyzing, what are the factors that you would say pulled the original group apart? 
And what is it that brings them back together, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's that initial tension as they all had recognized that they were in some subservient power dynamic with Mary. But then they were there, then they go, and it looks like maybe this whole thing is going to spread out, but something pulls them back together. And I want you to reflect for yourself on this because there's a balancing of solitude and power and agency with the need for other people, the need for social connection. Um, So I guess the question I would ask here is, how are you at balancing your own needs when it comes to your social versus your solitary time? Which feels more comfortable for you? I think sometimes we, you know, kind of do the quick reduction of like, you're an extrovert, you're an introvert. But for most humans, there's actually a balancing of those things that yields the best results. And then how would your community ideally be shaped given those needs for you? Mm-hmm. Right? Keeping in mind what Octavia is always teaching us, you don't know who you're going to be in the apocalypse with. These people did not choose this condition. They didn't choose to get up and come live together. Right? Mary called them into this, and now they're having to figure it out. But if you had to choose, if you got to create something, co-create something, what would work best for you? And then the the dynamic with Carl is really interesting. So how is this intimacy now possible with Carl, right? Her desire for intimacy, Mary's desire, do you think that it's just because Carl is who's there and available and like has some capacity? Is there anything about Carl that you think creates a genuine attraction or a genuine connection there? Mm. Right? Because don't they just... They just meet. They just, Doro's just like, this is going to be your husband. This is like, your husband now, right? It's the mm-hmm. ultimate arranged marriage. And and then they battle for a long time. And Carl is very resentful of her for a long time because he's kind of strapped with this person who's outpowering him. But now she's like, I really need you. Like, I need you to be a person with me. And mm-hmm. there's so much that feels really familiar in her longing for intimacy as a powerful woman that I'm sure a lot of our readers are going to resonate with of just like, yes, yes. do I run the whole world? Yes. Do I also need to be held and like (laughs) cuddle and watch TV and stuff? Yes. So there's something that she's longing for with Carl that feels possible to her with Carl. And then they get into this intimate act of blending, this blending in the pattern. And what can this blending teach all of us about intimacy, even Mm -hmm. us who are mutes? The quote that she she offers us, the blending wasn't an act that one person could enjoy while the other grimly endured, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what does that teach us about intimacy? What does that teach us about the possibilities of connection? I think there's so much here in that sentence and in this dance between the two of them where they both keep having to reveal, reveal, open, un, you know, like I will unshield if you unshield. And even though it's uncomfortable, if you can stay calm, I'll stay calm. And then we can experience this thing. And then they both get to enter the unknown, right? They're mm-hmm. like, I didn't even know that was going to happen. I actually tore your whole dress yeah. apart. Um, <laughs> you know, all of that feels familiar. But I think there's a lesson in that, which is how do you really sense that the other person is actually there enjoying it with you and Mm. what's more intimate than that, you know? So then 
we have Mary becoming a parent. And I felt like a chill up the back of my neck as she goes into this journey. And I wonder if you all felt it too. Do you feel the danger of Mary's power as she's creating this child, mm. right? As she's choosing the gender, right? As she's crafting this, this child, as she's crafting her family, as she's crafting her community, can you still feel her humanity? Mm. You know, can you still feel her ability to connect? She starts to feel dangerous here, right? Where it's just like her ambition and her hunger and her power and her capacity I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is getting, mm -hmm. you know, this is a lot. And she's still very young inside of it, right? Mm -hmm. My next question is, why are telepaths such bad parents? Yeah. <laughs> it's so curious to me that, and this is not the only time, Octavia does this in several of her texts where the special powers, the people who have some kind of special power or the people who come in contact with aliens or the people who, you know, kind of evolve first actually become like almost, yeah, allergic, as she says, allergic to their own children, allergic mm -hmm. to other children. So what is that about, right? I wonder if there's some Octavia feelings <laughs> buried in this pattern of, of like, oh, children. <laughs> it's yeah. just a trip. She's like, only a few people can handle that. Um, but yeah, the telepaths particularly, who you think would be like, oh, I can sense so much of what's happening with you. But, you know, maybe the child's mind is a chaotic space for them or, or something. But yeah, she says that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like, that they're the way that kids can can really think so quickly yes. like they're so you know well, magic um, babies yeah sometimes i can't follow kids they like too fast for me like um you know oh yeah they'll be like tt toshi blah, 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 blah. and then over there he's like, oh, <laughs> I'm, absolutely. Like, Wait, I'm just like you flutter <laughs> around i'm gonna sit here and be the sloth yeah. like aunt <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i'm just I'm just like, tell me what to do. I'm available. <laughs> exactly. Let's draw something. So, yeah. yeah, but I think this is a pattern. I think when I was reading this this time, something in it resonated with me with organizers, right? Mm. That there can be. Now, I know a lot of organizers who are fantastic parents, but I also know a lot of organizers who, like, once your attention is at the pattern level and you're kind yeah. of looking up and out and at the whole big picture or the whole campaign or the region or, you know, this larger issue that sometimes it can be hard to pivot from that greater networked patterned social awareness down to one being who wants your total attention. Right. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I know a lot of people who grew up with organizer parents who are kind of like, wow, <laughs> you know, like it was really hard to find where I could fit into that big vision, you know, so mm. I could see some parallels there, but I'd love to hear what y'all think. I love my mom. She traveled all the time. She was mm -hmm. like an organizer and a singer and a scholar and a Anna, Anna, Anna. Oh, yes. And she traveled. She traveled a lot, you know, but she is, I, I think she did a good job of holding a circle around us. Yeah. We were like, you know, we raised with like, you know, this is aunt, this uncle, that this, these people here. Yes, um, it, was it was like always, communal. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So she would go away. Just now, in my, I'm starting to meet people who have pictures of her or archive of her mm -hmm. on trips that she had when I was a kid, where 
Like there's one where I think it was when Martin Luther King's funeral happened in front of our house in Atlanta and she wasn't there. Uh-huh. And it's also the the day I said my first curse word, which was shit. And <laughs> so she. because I was like, what's going on? And they're like, Martin Luther King, this is his funeral. And I said, shit. Oh, and wow. uh, the National Guard was on our house and everything. And my mom wasn't there. And I was like, well, you missed the Martin Luther King's funeral. Where were you? And um, she was like, I was, I feel like she was in Germany, something like that. And then oh, wow. I was working with something, someone on this program around um, Paul Robeson, and they handed me a picture of my mom and Paul Robeson singing and oh on that exact date. And oh I was my like, God. that's what she was doing. That's and, wild, Toshi. Right? This is happening all the time now. Oh, I love this. Like somebody will hand me a picture and they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, your mom, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the archive wow, is coming she's together. So yeah. cool. She's <laughs> she so cool. These- well, and she's I feel so like cool. that's part of, like what I hear in you is also part of what's happening in this book is they're figuring out like who are the people who are really great with the kids that they just yeah. stay and they're just doing that, you know? Yeah. And that that's not necessarily everyone's role, but if everyone is playing their role and the care is still provided, then there doesn't have to be that breakdown. There can just be like a, that this person is so cool <laughs> experience. Yeah, this person right? is so cool. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually a really good modeling which is what I expect from you and your mama, <laughs> you know? So, so Doro is like on the scene, right? He's like, okay, so now you're pregnant and I have thoughts. I have, you're, you're parenting. Like I have thoughts about this. And he also picks up on like, she's not really interested in this kid necessarily. She's interested in her empire. So is there anything as you're reading this that you resonate with in terms of Doro's argument for her to slow down? Right, because there's this power struggle, and it's easy, given what we've already read and what we know of Doro, to just be like, "Fuck Doro." On general principle, like if he's making a case for something, he's wrong. And fifteen hundred people, five hundred kids, with only one person holding it all—that is a lot. That's a lot. That's very fast growth. And mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate. I found myself appreciating this question of like, "What is it you're growing?" Like, is mm-hmm. there some place you're heading towards? How are you going to protect these people if you're not there? So ask yourself, you know, like as you're reading this argument of Doro's, as you're thinking and listening, is there any truth in the manipulative tendencies that he's got here? Mm. And then, you know, Mary is still so young. So a question I have is what would or what will Mary have to learn to move in alignment with Doro's plan, right? She's learning a lot very quickly to stay in this conversation, in this dynamic, in this struggle with him. But what would she have to learn in order to slow down, right? right? What would that actually look like? Because for her, she sees it as only loss. It would just be, oh, I've got to let all these people die or suffer. But is there any other possibility of what it would look like for her to slow down? Yeah. Mm, that's such an important question. Yeah, to think about because once the adrenaline gets going, yeah, and like as someone who started a few things, you know, there's always that moment when it's like this is the thing and this is the moment, and we've just got to run as fast as we mm-hmm. can to get it as big as it can be right away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know that 
in the process of emergent strategy when when we got to that precipice where it's like we could leap right now and it could be like millions of people, right? Yeah. And I had to pause and ask myself kind of that question of like what what is it we're trying to do here? And how do we do that well? How does the form follow the function? Mm-hmm. And there's no need, there's no function right now that needs just million person membership based organizing around a new idea, right? It actually right. needs to be something that is experimental and that is small and that is relational and that moves, you know, at the speed of of trust, right? That's actually necessary. So there's still so much pressure on us all the time, like to do something big, big, big with emergent strategy five years into the journey. But I'm like, it's so much bigger now than anything I think it, it could have been if I had tried to push it. Right. <laughs> right? It's right. bigger because it's growing underground, like, you know, mushroom style. And yeah. I hear about things all the time where I'm like, what? How did it get there? Yeah. I don't even need to know, actually. That's great. Right. Yeah. Because those people feel <laughs> totally free to experiment with it. And they're experimenting in, an, in an, a way that has a lot of integrity to the original thing. So, anyway. I think Mary's got something important to learn here, even as she comes up against power, which that leads me to my final question, which is how do you navigate power dynamics with someone who has been a parental figure or a teacher figure when you reach their level or you surpass their level, right? So I think the goal of all teachers and parents should be, oh, I want this person to fully mature. I want them to have wisdom. I want the relationship to be mutual. But that's not how it actually plays out. A lot of people are like, you're always going to be the, the the baby. You're always going to be my baby or you're always going to be the student. And in a situation like this where Mary's like, you're both my dad and my oppressor and my teacher <laughs> and my you know control And Mm -hmm. I am starting to figure out that I'm able to do things that you can't do or that you don't even understand, Mm -hmm. right? How do we navigate those power dynamics? And is there a way to navigate them respectfully? Is there, do you just navigate away from conflict? How do you know when and where to push? How do you move someone into their place if their place has changed and they're resisting that? Really just think in your own life, have you come against that precipice, if you come up to that place where you're like, oh, I've outgrown you. And can you still be in gratitude towards that person? Can you be peers with that person? Can you communicate well with that person or those people? Or if it's a whole system, a whole way of being, because I think this happens in our movements too. We have these waves, right? Where we're like, I know for me, I'm like, I held these people on this pedestal of what Mm -hmm. it meant to be leaders. And then I became a leader. And then I was like, this is a shit show. <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> These are really all human beings. Like nobody needs to be on any pedestals, you know, oh. but we can uplift. We can just, you know, to me, I'm just like, I love to show love to people for the work that they have done. And it's like, wow, this work only works if everyone's willing to do this work. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And really e- kind of equally hold it. Like it doesn't help if I, overburden in Angela Davis, right? Instead of being like, my job is to grow strong enough to hold part of what you've been holding and to keep passing it on to other people to also hold it. Like we've got to all hold this, you know? Anyway, so those are, you have any thoughts on that, Toshi? (laughs) I I feel like you do this really well. 
Now, I mean, that, that idea of the overburdening of, you know, of these people who, yeah. you know, have, have lived spectacular lives and have dropped so much wisdom and, you know, it's like they become celebrities. Yes. And they, and it's, I'm happy when those people actually get the currency that they need to live their lives because yes. so many of our people never got the currency that they need. And I'm not just talking about financial currency, yeah, but definitely like not that, you know, so many people just died with nothing or assassinated or, you know, yes. with nothing. And, and there's this way that we can have just these very rough relationships. You know, we're like, they, they are everything I need. And, and it's like this, this very, you know, strange one way, dynamic yeah. of not seeing the total humanness of a of a person who's worked really hard. Yeah. I remember when Pete Seeger, my godfather, uh, you know, got into his like late 80s and people love Pete so much. He couldn't it's almost nowhere he could go and somebody wouldn't run up and try to give him something. And then I one time I heard him say I'm not receiving anything anymore. Oh. And I was like, "Whoa." I was like, thank you so much. Can you put this on, you know, like a kid drawing a paint, you know, and like a beautiful picture for him or something. And he just was like, I'm not receiving anything anymore. Like, you know, would you like to, to hang this in your wall? I think I'm like, he would come up with these things. And I've also, I also saw him just like not engage. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He won this big award and, and the media was just like, he was eating a sandwich and the media was like, yes, yes. yeah. Yeah. And Tosh and I'm like going nuts. And Toshi Seeger, my godmother, who I'm named after, put her hand on me and she's like, It's okay. We're very good at this. She and they just like Great. just refuse to see the chaos. But I yeah. think to become generous and to give a kind of affection that is more of a continuing and growing from what we, you know, learn and yeah. what we are walking beside people in the journey and, yeah. and and not so much this like you know a hunger to capture a moment with them yeah that you know isn't necessarily like the thing they might need mm. Um, mm -mm. to happen to them all the time wow that's I love that and I do feel like yeah I'm just really thinking about the dynamics of transition when it's people that we respect and love and then the dynamics mm -hmm. of transition when it's people who have caused us harm. Mm. And in this scenario, it's like this person has caused harm, but if I stretch my capacity for compassion, you know, for Doro, I'm like, he didn't know that there was another way, you know? Yeah. We, we don't know for sure that he ever knew there was some other way to do it. Or by the time he might have considered another way, he was a hundred years past <laughs> anybody mm -hmm. or anyone he could have a relationship with. And that it, it's been centuries of no intimacy, no familiarity, no peers, no yeah. nothing, right? And what loneliness does, you know, I'm like, I see what loneliness does to people after a week. I see what loneliness does to people after a year. And mm -hmm. so I, it gives me a certain compassion for Doro that I'm like, okay, you know, he survived in the way that for whatever reason he was designed to survive. And here comes someone who's like, I know a different way and it's much better and you can't even do it, but we're going yeah. to. 
you know. You know who I thought about so much reading this book is Isaac. Because, you know, in the first book, Isaac could see Anyamu and Doro at the same time. Yes. And so he spent his time, like, trying to help them see each other so they wouldn't kill each other. Exactly. You know, and he was like, no... And you use you, you lose this here. There is yes. nobody that is seeing Emma, Doro, and Mary. Yeah, and like lining and being the, like, here's what y'all are. This is what y'all are. There's a connection here. Yeah, like it's you know? so deep that the first family that they're all calling themselves the first family when yeah. Doro, Emma, and Mary are right there. Yeah, right. Like. Yeah. Unable to really be the the family that they actually are. So the family that they actually are. Yeah. And if there's anything about how fast Mary's moving that I would slow down is like to see how, you know, how those relationships could have been developed. Yeah. Um, the way Anyamu slowed Doro down when she was like, you know what, I'm just gonna kill myself because yeah. I can't I can't be with you anymore. Yeah. And it slowed Doro down and it he's made like, him have to consider. Up. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, wait, you can't like, be dying. Um, mm. Now I'm going to be alone again, you know? Yeah, but now you're dealing with Mary, so. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's the thing that it's like he was willing to slow down, but never really change. And yeah. I think that now, you know, where Emma was like, okay, I can coexist with you moving slower and with some boundaries in place, but not fundamentally changing, I'll be over here. But Mary is like, this is not going to work because I can't just be over here and you be over there. You keep coming over here and trying to tell me how to do my thing. And so this tension is, it's going to have to be resolved, y'all. It's going to have to be resolved. And that dun-dun-dun feels like our whole world right now. We are living inside of a tension that is untenable between the top-down old school patriarchal ways of being that are rooted in supremacy and something new that is emergent and that is spiritually connected and that is pattern-based and network-based and collective and communal. We are are on the same precipice as they are in this book. So Mm. Octavia, show us the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is our chapter. That is our chapter. We have completed chapter 10. This is Octavia's Parables, hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my beloved Toshi Regan. We are produced by Kat Aaron. Our show art is from Krista Franklin, the genius. Uh, we're transcribed by Jess Pinkham and Sarah Rubens Breen. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at O Parables and um, at patreon.com slash O Parables. And transcripts for all of our episodes are live at readingoctavia.com. Um, music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan. Uh, the Sower Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, live at Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and The Dual Worlds of Knowing and Undoing, written and performed by Toshi Regan. Ooh! That always makes me very excited when you do that, Toshi Megan. (laughs) I love you so much. All right. See y'all next time. Bye, y'all. A sower went out to sow her seed. 
A soul without a soul, a soul without a soul.